know I like our opening song. Because that was crafted specifically for this show by a friend of mine, DJ Aldi. Uh, I remember. He, he's, you remember that? That was a cool time. Yeah. Um, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Jersey Wall episode number 64. They're starting to pile up now that we're doing them every Monday. Every Monday, you know you're going to get a new Jersey Wall episode. And personally, I like it. It's a long time ago from when we were just doing it in your basement. Yeah, bro. No just kidding. Like it yeah. literally the, the transformation of, and this one kind of goes a little bit back to the basement. Cause this one's just a, um, an audio recording. So for those of you who are just missing out on the opportunity to see the wall, don't worry. You might've noticed that, uh, the logo that you've subscribed to no longer says content cube. It says the Jersey wall. That's because the Jersey wall is the exclusive show on this platform. So we figured might as well just say, hey, listen, this is specifically the Jersey Wall. So for all of you who are dying to see it, you can always look at, uh, at the thumbnail there that you guys have. And you'll be able to see it on YouTube in the coming weeks. We'll detail that um, at a later date. For now, you guys already heard his voice. You guys already know his name. It's Mina. Mina, welcome back. So great to have you on yet again. Thanks for having me. Yeah, always, always happy to be here. It's a pleasure, as always, to have you on. And, you know, you've been on this show so many times. It's like, do I even introduce you at this point as the co-host? Or can, you, can people just expect to hear <laughs> from you? Because, you know, the way that the show goes pretty much going forward is that you are the co-host of the show, which means I don't even want to have to introduce you anymore. I just want you to just chime in on your ideas every now and then. Just, and people can be like, oh, my God, who is it? Who is it today? <laughs> Special guest. And then they're going to be like, bam, brethren, what's up? Not much, man. Everything's doing. Everything's going well, you know. Topsy to every weekend of football, as always, in all the leagues, and I'm sure we're gonna get straight into that. Um, excited to talk about it. So I don't even know where to begin. I guess what's the Edison Cavani song? Can you sing it for me? What's the? Is there a song for him yet? Has there? Has it been made? I don't know, man, because that's the thing. There are no fans in the stadium. I mean, oh, I'm sure right. there would be one now, but I have no idea what's going on. Um, saw a couple of gag ones going around on on Instagram, but they, you know, they're done jokingly making fun of right. the the Sadio Mane song yeah um from a couple of years ago yep so there's nothing yet but we have to wait and see yeah I guess that's fair I mean after the one on the weekend I mean you deserve to be yeah you're right I guess we haven't heard the you know a full-on audience chant in a while because there's nobody in the stadiums and I guess that kind of reminds me apparently we're going to start welcoming fans just a little bit of fans but some fans back into the stadiums effective in December uh what do you think about that um i think it's uh it's bittersweet i think the atmosphere is gonna suck it's probably not gonna be uh much better than it already is now with no fans but would i be signing up to go in absolutely i would um so i think fans should not go in expecting it to be great because you're probably going to be miles away from the next person so the goal goes in and you're like did you hear that did you see the goal can you hear me Yay! <laughs> so it's um, it might not be as exciting, but I think the players might benefit from it to have some sort of sound. Um, smaller clubs, smaller stadiums will probably benefit more from that because they will have 2,000. So if you're filling 2,000 fans in a stadium capacity of 12, it's going to be a lot louder than if you're filling um, 2,000 people in a stadium capacity of 50 plus thousand. So, Well, I mean, to be fair, the Vitality Stadium is no longer in the Premier League. But they would have had ten percent capacity at that point. The thing is, I wonder where they're exactly. going to put them. Like physically, where are they going to put them? Because if they put them in the nosebleeds, you can't even tell that they're there, right? Like they can, you know, they're going to cheat. They're going to cheer, but 
I wonder how influential that'll be because I don't think you can put them along the bottom because otherwise on TV, it's going to just look like there's, you know, 50 people there. I agree, but I think they will probably put them closer to the pitch than you think because they probably do want to see some fans on TV. You know, there's no point in, in having them be there and not showing them on TV. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I mean, and plus, I, I mean, what are they going to charge more? Like, you're going to charge more to put them on the bottom, right? I guess. Exactly. I think, and I think they're just getting season ticket holders anyway. So, right. It, it's not like they're paying to go to these games, right? Right. They probably just renewed their season ticket and, and it is what it is. Yeah. I, I don't know how I feel about it, to be honest. I guess, you know, if I just think it's not necessarily the right time. Because, you know, now what? Let's say, what, are they going to test all 2,000 in there every time before they go in? Or are they going to be forced to wear their masks throughout? And then if they take it off, is security going to kick them out right away? Like, I would like to see how it's implemented. I- I'm, I'm happy that the fans are back. Don't get me wrong. I just, I think like, you know, for the same reason that Dana White of the UFC said, if I can only put this many people in it, I'm not going to worry about trying to do it because who cares? Like, it's not going to add really anything to the atmosphere. It'll help, exactly. you know, negate some of the costs, I guess, if you can now start charging, you know, 2,000 seats per game. But in the grand scheme of things, you're not really contributing anything. Like, it's not going to help a whole lot. I think it's more just a step in the right direction. And I just hope it doesn't backfire by having, you know, 17 people who are coming in have COVID and now they've spread it to the other 2000 or to the team, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. It seems strange because these people are in a bubble, just like the players are, um, you know, despite having played international football where they literally travel everywhere and go see other teammates from, and I think that's literally how <laughs> pandemic spread, but <laughs> they're still kind of secluded from everyone else. And it's going to be weird. And I don't know how they're going to police it, but I think we're just going to have to wait and see. And I think if, you can't bring fans back into all 20 teams' stadiums, then I think that's kind of unfair to yeah. the, the half of the league that actually do get fans back. Um, because now some teams will have a home advantage, some teams won't. And it's, I, I think that's kind of unfair. Yeah, and I think this is a good like little discussion to kick off the show. Um, but the focus of today's show, obviously, we're going to start in the Prem. I think you guys can probably tell Uh, by how this discussion goes. And quite frankly, we usually talk about that stuff, but we like to talk about everything that's going on. Later in the show, we're going to get to Barcelona, Real Madrid, the Champions League, all that stuff. Um, But for now, while we just stay domestic in the Prem, I guess I should ask you on the note of, you know, the point of having fans there is to celebrate big moments, right? It's to help encourage the atmosphere. And Fergie time is back. So I have to segue this back to, to United Point. And... Listen, last week I said you guys have horseshoes up your ass because every game it's a far penalty. This time it wasn't. It was just super sub Cavani who happened to get the freaking header against the two tallest defenders in the league in the dying breaths of the game. And you're like, listen, this is still luck. Like, I don't care. Yes, it was a good, good substitution, obviously, to bring on Cavani. I, it made me mad that City didn't sign him for exactly that reason. <laughs> if not to benefit us, then to at least spite United <laughs> that you guys don't have the option to switch it up because yeah. neither do we. But at the end of the day, you walked away with three points from Southampton a lot less comfortably than you should have. How do you feel about the game? Obviously, the win's the only thing that matters, but, you know, 2-0 down at one point, right? 2-0 down at one point, and I actually called um, either a Benrick slash Vestergaard header or a free kick from James O'Prowse, and both of them actually happened. Um, I think, despite the last 15 minutes of the first half, I think we dominated the game. 
yeah, there probably wasn't that much chance creation because Bruno didn't have his best game. But I think the midfield and the shape served its purpose. And that's seen by the fact that, you know, the, the shape didn't change, but Cavani just was brought in and uh, just kind of helped be that be the focal point in the team. Um, I think we did lack some width, but uh, that that's what happens when you have a, when you play a diamond, right? Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah. Yeah, so I think Southampton had a lot of weaknesses that are very similar to what United do. They play a very high line. They try uh, to play counter-attacking, and they also do have big uh, defenders that aren't particularly quick. The benefit is, or the difference between them between us and them, is that they actually use that. They they are really good at set pieces, not just against United, but against everyone. They really work on um, having every single piece of advantage that they can get from set pieces because they know that the delivery from James Ward-Prowse is going to be immaculate every single time. Um, and can we talk about that, him? Oh, my God. Like, it's incredible. It's kind of... It's, it's genuinely unfair how good he is from free kicks. Okay, so since... And I will put it in FIFA terms because the early days of discovering players for me, a lot of it was based around FIFA, right? Like, it was in FIFA... What time? I started 14? playing FIFA. No, FIFA 10 even. I was playing on my iPod and then I segued into consoles as I got older and I got consoles, but FIFA 10. And I remember, I think it was FIFA 14 that a young James Ward-Prowse kind of broke onto the scene, right? He's been there for about five, six years already. Uh, and he's starting to round out his game. And I think it's fair for him to do that. You know, Pochettino was his manager for a while and he was just kind of breaking on the scene then. And then he left for Spurs. And then, you know, a bunch of things, a bunch of things happened with Southampton. But now they're with a manager who I actually think should probably be the guy to take Ollie's job from him. Thank you, Rebuilder on Hasn't Huddle, because that's a freaking manager, proper manager. And speaking of taking things from Southampton, I think James Ward-Prowse would be a fine addition to the Manchester United squad. Let me just float that out there for a second, and we can, okay. we can discuss that in a second. Um, but... Back to what I was saying there, I, you know, when I discovered James Ward-Prowse, it was, it was about, you know, that time of FIFA 14, and he's just gotten better ever since. And he's had ups and downs where you think, okay, you know, this is his seat. Uh, this is his ceiling. This is his peak. I don't think he can get better than this. And then he does. And it's like every year he gets a little bit more mature. His delivery is always rocks. It's per like, it's never like James Ward-Prowse smashes it into the wall, like at the ankles, like, oh, just a total miss kick or you know, he goes to put the corner in and he just fluffs it. Every single time, it's an unbelievable delivery. And I think having that kind of hard worker, been on the scene for a while, even though he's young, leadership trait, you know, and unreal set pieces is like, why are you still at Southampton again? Like, you know what I mean? Why yeah, I'm surprised that there, no one bro? else picked them up. Me too. So let's talk about uh, it. Why isn't he at United? Why is this unless... not a name? A sensible purchase okay, option for can, Manchester United. We can say that about anyone in the world, right? Like that conversation. Why isn't this no, player no, but at I, this there's club a reason I say this can and it's always because be said. It, no, but what makes me mad about it is because I don't even understand why this trigger can't be pulled already. Because it's one thing to have, you know, United saying, well, we're not going to spend the money on a Jaden Sancho because he's too expensive. But then it's like, well, okay, James Ward Prowse probably would you could get for what for do we think 40 would probably have worked this past summer james old prowse isn't a right winger though no no i i'm just saying as a midfielder like he's not going to command big budgets he's going to be a huge addition to a squad especially one yeah, trying to sure. rebuild like united he's exactly, not a right winger, but why but... isn't why isn't he at arsenal why isn't he at city right like it's 
it's well, a question that can be said about anyone, right? City, like, I why understand. isn't he at Liverpool? Especially since Southampton is Liverpool's B team, right? It's Liverpool, I can see. Literally. So, um, especially with their midfield and, and how how much they sometimes need creativity for midfield because they usually rely on their wingers and their fullbacks um, and long balls from their centre-backs. So it's it's kind of like that can be said about anyone, right? Why isn't... I think the alternative is why were you not, not targeting him when they knew that they were going to be priced out of Jack Grealish, right? It's It can be... That can yeah. be said regardless of what club it is or what player it is. You can always ask why isn't this player at this club? But, I mean, if he... If he wanted to put in a performance for um, like a trial period, then that performance against us just from set pieces was great. Um, I, To be honest, I didn't really think they did much else in terms of chance creation. I think Shea Adams held up the line pretty well and became a nuisance, but I don't think they had any other clear-cut chances that I was kind of worried about. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I don't, think, I don't think they were ever going to be the biggest threat from open play. I think it was always going to be from set pieces and they got you yeah. and for them to lose off two headers, I'm sure they will be kicking themselves for it. But they're really good headers. That's a movement yeah. and that's instinct from a striker that's, that has, you know, 200 plus goals in his career. That's, that's a Cavani header. That's yeah. It's a Cavani header. I think we haven't had that kind of target man with instinct since Ibrahimovic and, you know, free transfer from PSG 30 plus years old scores two goals against Southampton to win three, two. I've been there, done that mate. <laughs> literally the same cv um <laughs> except Ibra did it in a league cup final so right it's i think the comeback was great i think i'd i disagree i don't think it was actually luck i think that the game plan worked i think the i appreciate the character from the players to not drop their heads after going two 0 down from set pieces it's as if they were kind of almost expecting it um i think what made it seem like luck is is how how or what minute of the game we actually did score the winner in a 92nd minute yeah. I, I don't think that was lucky i think that no. well okay in honest, most contexts it wouldn't have been but in this context because it's always that there's an escape at the end for ollie to keep his but job when does that but when does that become character from the players right like the players are the ones playing they're the ones who oh like united have won four games in a row after going uh going down at some point in the game, right? They, the opposition always scores first, but we always seem to come back. And that's now the eighth game that we've won away from home, going back to the Liverpool game last season at Anfield, um, which wasn't a great game by any strength in the imagination. Um, but at what point does do games away from home start becoming that character from the players? That's Bruno and, and Rashford, for example, leading the team and telling them, listen, guys, we can't lose this game. So character does count, and I don't think it's a fluke after eight games um, or four games, for example, after conceding first to turn back around to turn it back and and start winning. That like it's the same question. At what point does that become character from the players to not drop their heads and not you know give up on the game? And that's something that we've been lacking in this team for so long. Yeah, and I I won't take that away from the players. It's not necessarily the point I'm trying to make. It's more that. I'm like, how? There's always an escape. Like every week, there's there's another. It's never just a convincing United went out and beat this team. It's so rare that that's the case. Of of a you could have actual- said that in '99. You could have said that in '99. All the games, all the big games that we ended up winning, um, Juventus semi final, could have been luck, but it was actually Roy Keane rallying the team and and scoring 
winners and and everything like that the 99 final itself in the champions league mm-hmm. says that it's, i mean it's that called against Fergie bayern, time for a reason right. yeah it's called it's Fergie time for a re- bayern brought like they were bringing the trophy down with the bayern's ribbons on it and by the time it took them to take it down to the stadium you know it had already won and they had to change the colors i mean thankfully no, it was I, red and white anyway but yeah like, like <laughs> i know what you're saying yeah you know what, what i'm saying i'm just saying but we've Fergie won, those, more. won these games like this anyway. Fergie had these games. It's a reason it's called Fergie time. It didn't just apply for big games. It was any single game that United probably should have lost but ended up turning it around. It's like what happened with Liverpool last year where they couldn't stop getting these winners. And it was insane how it, how it did that. And people were looking at it. It's like how, like, how do they keep doing this? Same with City in the 100-point season. They always found a way to win, and this is by no stretch of the well, imagination the same situation. Yeah, um, but it's but for some reason, United find a way to win away from home, and um, so that's that's just credit to them, and and credit to Oli for changing it up at halftime. It's a big call, but uh, it's a call that that paid off. Yeah, good for him, right? Like at least now it's three more points. Uh, yeah, for you guys, let's your game in hand and you're two points away from the top. Same thing with City. I think win your game in hand and and both Manchester clubs are two or three points away from top of the league. So and, and I'm not saying that United's gonna win the league, it's just from where we were two weeks ago. Um, it seems like this season, if a team can put together a stretch of you know four or five wins in a row, then they they might have might be in the conversation. Yeah, and so let's let's segue that into teams that cannot put stretches of wins together and why you know we can actually attribute that i think a big part of it is that people are i think people have been sick of var for a very long time Mm -hmm. but i don't think it's getting any better (laughs) i think every passing week people are getting more and more and more fed up with var so talk to me a little bit me off it pisses me off that VAR. I'll, and I'll let you say your question. I'm sorry. I just I just want no, to no, say this me. off the bat. Yeah. Uh, that VAR pisses me off because you only hear of problems with VAR in the Premier League. This is implemented everywhere else in Europe or in, everywhere that, that matters, right? It's, it seems to have an issue with it in Spain. No one seems to have an issue with it in, in Germany, in the Champions League. Yeah. And Why is there it always are, England? Even if there are controversial issues, it's not anywhere near as controversial or as prevalent in other leagues like yeah. anywhere I mean, yeah and you might get it every once in a while in you know it, you know the you know the the european competitions or in um you know national competitions or something like that where because i think it's because all eyes are on there and quite frankly i think you know it, it seems like the premier league just has a lot of big teams and it happens to a lot of the big teams in the league and therefore it's more talked about Mm-hmm. But to be honest, I couldn't tell you if there was a massive, you know, VAR, you know, error in Villarreal versus Osasuna because I wasn't watching. Right. Fair so I'm, I'm thinking, though, I totally get your point, which is why is it so prevalent in the Premier League? Obviously, there's more exposure, but there's no fans in the building either, which means that it sh- there shouldn't be more pressure on the officials to make the decisions. Exactly. Everything should be objective. And it's just like, Going to and I've said this a thousand times. Going to watch a foul a thousand times on replay is, of course, you, you can nitpick exactly what the incident was. But then again, there are other instances where it is, if you didn't follow this precedent, where because it hit his hand, no matter the circumstance, his he has arms. It hit his arm. Therefore, it's a penalty. In other circumstances, you could say, 
no, but that you could tell he really didn't mean that. So what? It screwed this team. It's got to screw that team, right? Like there's, it seems that they're not following any sort of precedent with it. Now, this being said, obviously I have to seg the, segue this to Liverpool who are at the back, um, the back end of a lot of poor VAR decisions this year, but they dare ask us for sympathy. Karma, man. It's, it's what yeah. happens. Everyone's been shouting. How many humble decisions should have, should have gone? And to be fair, with offside decisions that went Liverpool's way last year, those are correct because they followed with offside. It's he's either on or off, no matter how ridiculous it is. The, like no, those with VAR. Scary. No, but but here's the thing: they actually you disagree with the rule, but they're actually following the rule every single time. No matter what you think of the rule, they're doing it consistently. Well, That's what people can't throw at them with the with the offsides. The thing is with the offsides is that the frames per second of real life versus of a camera are not the same and there was a time when yep. onside was level and now onside or, or excuse me level was onside and now level is offside because if the frame of a person kicking the ball which when you break it down to the best computer that there's ever existed right the human eye how many times can we look at this and where was his foot still touching the ball and at one point in that he will be offside because he started to lean a little bit or his toe is just in line with the line. Those are calls that are not are not reasonable to call offside because they're level, right? Like if you can't say with certainty in real time that it's offside, right? Then it shouldn't and be this offside. goes right, yeah. unless of course it's that he was narrowly offside. Like a lot of Alvaro Morata stuff are really really close to being onside. But then we look at it, it's like okay, his knee was a little bit over the line, not a hairline. But like an inch, it yes, sucks. We can give that. Again, but for half a freaking millimeter, I I don't think is I don't. But again, think you're disagreeing with the rule. Like everything you're saying is technicality. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the implementation. So at least they're being consistent. The technology isn't. It. Yeah, but it's not reasonable for the game because the technology isn't consistent with how we can implement the rule. Because it used yeah. to be that that rule was written for eyesight. Exactly. Now it's frame by frames where one frame will tell us that it's on and one frame will tell us that it's off. And then they'll go and overturn the decision on the field when at another instance, they'll say, okay, yes, this one is perfectly on. Now, you know, we can keep disputing this, but let me, let me hear from you a little more about this. Yeah. So again, um, as long as they're being consistent with it, I think people will start arguing that the rule needs to change. And that's, and that is what I think we're doing. And same thing with the handball. But again, last season, how many calls um, that should have gone to VAR against Liverpool didn't go to VAR? It's those are the ones that really pissed me off. It's this should have been checked for at least for longer than it was checked. Yeah. Because if you're checking this for two minutes in another game, then you should be checking it as long as you need to to make a decision in this, right? If you're if you're not even letting the the referee go check the screen then the referee is redundant. Just have the, the referees in the VAR room referee the game, right? The guy on the field is just blowing whistles for outs and offsides and, or for, sorry, for outs and goals and to start kickoffs. He's not making the decision. And that's what people got really pissed off with last season. And I hope now that we get to see referees going to the screen more, which in fairness, they have been, they have been doing because now you can at least point your finger at someone that you can see and, and start blaming him because it was his decision. Right. But even last that, season. Go sorry. on. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just saying last season with Liverpool, a lot of calls were checked in the VAR room, 
but whereas where the referee should have gone to check it in the screen and i guarantee you if he did he would have he would have uh, gotten the call correctly but you know what i'm actually okay with like the people in the var room are supposed to be referees too and it's like you then i don't mind actually having the referee on the field be a pawn for var and having var tell him straight up that hit his hand that is a penalty because otherwise you're looking at the screen for like massive massive amounts of time where it's like guys what do you mean what's the call here there there should be no discussion you are a referee who's told him the way var was supposed to be implemented that decision needs to be overturned because it was a clear and obvious error yeah which again was the whole written which again the rule of the game is any amount of offside is offside but the rule of var is only overturning obvious errors clear and obvious errors and if you can't detect it with your eye and you have to go mechanically and see what percentage of a millimeter you were offside it's not a clear and obvious error right if it clearly hits your hand and the ref has missed it clear and obvious error right it needs to be overturned if Agreed. it's if it's less than that as the way the terminology of the var rulebook has been written really the, the the referee on the field shouldn't have to even make the decision it's like listen this is what i saw in real time perfect is it a clear and obvious error that the referee has made if yes and remember, it's, I don't actually think it's that hard to, over, to, to, to understand the language there. I know some people can get overly technical with it, especially if the decision goes against their club. But straight up, was it clear and obvious that they missed it? I think if it hits somebody's hand and the ref didn't see it, it's a clear and obvious error. It needs to be, needs to be looked at. But again, that's implementation, right? It's rules that they wrote that they're not following. Same yeah. thing with the same thing with the goalkeeper has to have both feet or at least one foot for a penalty. Mm-hmm. They don't always follow that and not and it's not always in every game. Right? When did that start stop being a rule that needs to be checked every single time? Right? Like they do check right. it seemingly when it's a Bruno Fernandez penalty and he has to retake it because he missed and we can't have that. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> but but they don't I I've seen it happen in other games where it hasn't been checked. And it's just the inconsistency and the implementation for rules that they wrote themselves Literally. is what is making people get really really pissed off at it and at this moment i genuinely don't feel like it's improving the game unless they have football people in the in the decision rooms where they actually have are involved in the conversation for writing the rules because they're the ones who played the game and when are they going to start putting uh the goal line technology to see if a keeper's foot was actually on the line because if it's it's on his toes then that means the heels weren't on and that means if you go down the line his heel was oh, not probably, on the line and oh, therefore has, could you imagine bro you how could it, it not you spoken into existence no it, but that's it's the next definitely thing, gonna right? exist then it's yeah like that's you, probably the next thing how could it not be and also but again the rule doesn't matter if he's if the if the scorer scores right if the penalty taker yeah, yeah, scores yeah, exactly rule, rule that's what matter. i've seen as well yep which i get that because it's like well this is only meant to be if the it's it's to give the advantage to the scorer right to the penalty taker but i'm telling you man I, that would probably be the next thing i think and we can discuss this as a whole and we can move on from VAR as a whole. And our decisions probably for all the Jersey wall is, and it is a podcast with millions and millions of listeners. So the decision is up to us. Now FIFA comes, says, Nathan, Mina, make a decision. What's up with VAR? How would we write the wrongs? What would we do? Do we pull it? Do we rearrange it again? What do we do? What do you think? First thing I do is I get rid of my ego and start saying, listen, who do I need to talk to that has played the game to explain to me what an unfair advantage is in an offside, right? Like, get 
get a committee of players who have played the game and start asking them when you write the rules. And then you can modify it based on that and what they see, what they deem to be reasonable, right? Because otherwise you're just writing rules, having no idea what it is to be in that situation. And then you're leaving your you're leaving yourself uh, exposed to criticism because people are going to disagree. And I get and I I get it. You can't always make sure that everyone's happy with the decisions you make. But as long as it's reasonable enough, you can at least try to defend it. Um, and I think we should, if if it's up to me, I would really drive down the importance of the clear and obvious error, right? If yeah. it's not clear and obvious decision is one thing, clear and obvious error is another thing. And yeah. that's kind of where I'd go with it. For me, the way I would write it would be um, Liverpool will never be given the advantage of a VAR goal. <laughs> <laughs> if just, Liverpool wins the Premier League replay the season. Yeah, exactly. We just can't give it to them. Um, same thing with United. They, I think you should be allowed a certain amount of VAR, correct VAR decisions. You can bank them, right? So it's like, okay, we have to kick off our next game with a penalty because we weren't <laughs> awarded one our last game. Like, let's really have fun with it because obviously the whole point of it, I think, it disallows a lot of goals, but it also gives a lot, a lot of penalties, right? So it kind of doesn't make up for it if the offsides that are called off are given in the forms of penalties. That would be up to up for debate. Um, off the top of my head, I would, I would almost argue maybe, right? Like there's so many more penalties, right? But there's so many more disallowed goals from open play that maybe it kind of balances out. Um, I would actually like to hear from from you or from the the people in the crowd. What do you guys think of that? Because the people in the crowd, like it's a live studio audience. No, like our, any of our <laughs> listeners, what do you guys think of that? You know, has VAR, for all that it's done, and you can love it or hate it, has it balanced out in the form of penalties awarded versus offsides uh, taken away? Yep. And do you think it improved the game or not? Yeah. Like to me, I mean, it's given us, it was supposed to eliminate controversy. I think it gave us yep. controversy even, even tenfold. More. Right. Yeah. You know, um, nonetheless, I, obviously, whoever's going in now to if VAR is here to stay, and as we understand it, it is and it will be here to stay for a long, long time to come, uh, unless they completely just say, okay, we're actually going to just completely reinvent it in the offseason. And then for the next season, here's what it's going to be. And they can actually implement those specific newly written rules. That'd be another thing. But VAR as a whole, I think, isn't going anywhere. And I don't, I can't say that I have enjoyed it so far, honestly. And maybe it's because my teams haven't been given an advantage because of it. But I think overall, um, I, I wouldn't say I've enjoyed it. And I think at this current moment in time, especially with, you know, the, the general emotion in the footballing community, I don't think it's, it's been a very popular addition to the game, no. except for, and, unless for United. Yeah. And, and to be honest, when fans are in the stadium, it also adds the the issue of taking way too long for a decision to be made, right? When fans aren't in the stadium, you shouldn't really have that pressure, but you also shouldn't take as, as much time as you want, right? Yeah, like it's and if you're taking more than on, 30 right? seconds, yeah, if you're taking more than 30 seconds to make a decision, it's not a clear and obvious error. Move on with your life. Right. So, yeah. So let's move on to clear and obvious errors. That's another really good segue to the next club we're going to talk about. A clear and obvious error has been made uh, at Arsenal Football Club in some sense of it. And I've, had, I've done a part one podcast with Gerard, and I'd love to have him back hopefully sometime in the next month or two to finish off the episode. And he and I are going to go in depth about all Arsenal stuff. 
But right now, Arsenal are really, really bad. And we have to talk about it. Right. So I'm going to open this to you with one of my trademark open-ended questions and ask you, brethren, what the hell's going on with Arsenal Football Club? Well, I, I hope I do them justice, and I hope Gerard doesn't really um, hate me too much. But, you know, it's, it's open for debate. I think, obviously, you could see that there's a creativity issue going on at Arsenal. There's a lack of goals going on at Arsenal. And I, I think that's, that's pretty obvious to point out. And Arteta's system when he came in was to just eliminate the amount of goals they conceded, right? Before he came in, they could have been scoring three goals, but they were conceding either two, three, four, right? Right. Um, and even in his early stages as well. And then he figured out, okay, well, let me just build a base that can maybe, you know, make one mistake or two, but it's a lot less than we were making previously, and it won't be as detrimental. And then he started building forwards. Um, And I don't know if this is a criticism of him or if it's a criticism of where the recruitment is now, but missing out on Thomas Partey shouldn't do this to to the team, right? They didn't have him beforehand, and um, and now that he's, I, I think he didn't play against Wolves, right? No, he didn't. Yeah. So if he it's didn't play against Wolves, I don't think the team should. Yeah, I don't think the team should collapse as much as it did. And yeah, we've seen one-man teams before, but they're they went from a one-man team that relied on Aubameyang to a one-man team that's relying on Thomas Partey now. And um, I just don't think they're able to get the best out of Aubameyang at the moment because of how they're set up and to be incredibly defensive. And, you know, it's a valid point. You know, if you don't concede, you're not going to lose the game. Um, Problem is they are conceding because they're not putting as much pressure on other teams from the front. And that's kind of leaving them open. And the more time you have at trying to break down someone, the more, the better chances you are that you're, that you're going to actually score. So, yeah, uh, they need to figure out what's going on with the Ozil situation. If if that's you know a dead end, then get rid of him and start start all over again. Figure it out, right? There's no point in holding on to it as much as it is now. Um, and if it is for political reasons, don't let the guy leave. Let him go play somewhere else. If for political reasons the club is not going to play him anymore, then then don't do this to him. Don't do this to yourself because you're wasting and throwing 350k a week into the ground and you're wasting however long he has left obviously he might be happy to just get the money and you know not play but you know i'm i'd like to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that he wants to play but he doesn't have a chance to at the moment um so create creativity is an issue um i think when thomas party comes back they might be able to turn these defeats into narrow wins but it still won't be convincing in any way. So I just think that they should try and be more adventurous is the word. I was going to say creative, but I think adventurous is the word. While being as solid as they are now, um, as soon as they get Thomas Barton into the team, there are no excuses that you should try. I would bench Lacazette if it's me. And I put Aubameyang as a striker. I think they're losing too much of his goal-scoring ability when they're putting him on the left wing. So I'd put him as a striker and, and then um, maybe play Eddie and Ketia and uh, Nicolas Pepe, probably. But I'd definitely bench Lacazette. 
So here's my position on this. And I, I don't want to go too in-depth with Arsenal because I would like to have an Arsenal discussion specifically with an Arsenal fan. Yeah, Gerard um, knew ter- stuff too. Yeah, but in terms of discussing just current events about what's going on at Arsenal, I think the Arteta system that he's trying to play is trying to emulate a little bit more of, or maybe it's not trying to emulate it, but it probably sh- could be a little bit better off with some different signings uh, in a Liverpool approach. So Liverpool yeah. kind of attack with five and defend with five, right? Like the Liverpool midfielders are not the creative goal-scoring outlets, right? They are the fullbacks and the, and the wingers and the center forward who is there to just kind of link up play and, and help everything out. Right. are responsible for the for really all of the goals, right? And if you look at how Tottenham are playing currently, they're playing Mourinho plays with a box of four, right? So he's playing with two CDMs specifically responsible for protecting the two center backs, and that block is there, uh, you know, to, to protect when they go forward and they counter. And then they counter with, you know, the striker, the, the cam, both wingers, and the fullbacks. Everybody's kind of pushing up. And I think Arteta lacks, the, obviously, a creative midfielder. I don't think Danny Ceballos is a creative guy to, to thread the needle the way that even a Ozil is. And I'm not necessarily a fan of a Ozil as a footballer because I think there's a lot to his game that is lacked, even though he, when a system is built around him, can provide a lot of assists. I don't think that Arsenal is necessarily the team at this time to do that because I need my players to run, right? And, and he just doesn't. But yep. that's a whole... I, I, I touched on that with, uh, in the Gerard one. That being said, Aubameyang, because he's always been a poacher, he needs to finish off the chances. And if there isn't a person in the middle to provide him the creative chances for him to finish, then I think you have to rely on the creativity of wingers and fullbacks. And I think Arsenal can do that, actually. I, I think that if they play the right combination of players around Aubameyang and I think you're the answer you're right is to drop Lacazette because he's not really performing as a center forward right maybe the answer is to put a guy like uh, Bukayo Saka who who G and I were really like high on in the last performance and Kieran Tierney as a full-on left back who's responsible for going forward and trying to create right and giving Saka a little bit more creative freedom to not necessarily go both ways, but just try to attack and create and feed Aubameyang. Because he'll score them if we create them. But I don't think Arsenal should be dependent on a 4-2-3-1 where the cam is pulling strings anymore. Because then, yes, just play Ozil. And if they don't want to, then adapt and put in a new situation. Yeah. I think that situation is using Bellerin, Tierney, Bukayo Saka, Willian, I guess, because he's he's a good sure player. About him. Yeah, I'd, I'd start Willian instead of Pepe. He's a, he's a good yeah. player. And, and Pepe just doesn't seem to have it, right? And then, obviously, this is um, injuries permitting, right? If that's a fully fully fit squad. I think if you have all those options and then you have a Ceballos and a party in midfield next to each other, that is at least good enough that or even if, if Ceballos is playing at the 10 and you have like Xhaka and um, you know, and party next to each other. I think that's enough that if Arteta just tweaks the tactics a little bit, 
to be less of a defensive coordinator, like apparently he was for City because, boy, we weren't conceding and we were hmm. scoring. So I guess that was his responsibility here. He's done a good job at plugging the holes in defense, but maybe not in implementing you know, the tactics through the width through the wide angles and maybe Aubameyang's not your guy to be your left wing who cuts in and scores but rather just keep making runs from the top of the box towards the six yard box and be there for the cutbacks that are going to come from the right footed right wing and the left footed left wing who are pretty creative and then the fullbacks as well right like I think there's a system there that could work all we have to do is is give it a chance because what the hell else do you have to lose like I, yeah, I just think you have I, to I think being able to adapt is so important and I don't think enough managers do that. I think they're all like, this is the way that we're going to play and it's going to work. And then they lack the elements that they need to make it work. Rather than saying, how can I make it work with these players that I have specifically in front of me? So even if we say Mesodozo doesn't exist at this club, that's not an option. How can we then add creativity to the squad? And I think it's like, listen, do what, do what Mourinho does, not in the exactly. way that we, that we park the bus, but more in the way that we're going to park four, right? And then when we're defending, everybody's going to do their part to defend. But going forward, we're going to use our, our we're going to teach creativity a little bit more to our very fast and really good fullbacks that they have. They're pretty good. Our wingers, one of them who is a little bit Davies, a little bit Sane esque. That's his, I think. Not quite that high, but some somewhat of a of a comparable ceiling. William, who's done pretty much everything, and then Aubameyang, who just needs the ball to be able to put it in the net, and he'll do it. I think there's a wide system there that they could work that I just don't think they've done enough to to try to do. I think it's the Pepe experiment isn't really working out, and we can have a, a separate discussion about you know what he should be doing and and how to integrate him into the team. But if you're saying right now, how can we make this work? I think that's how you make it work. I agree. And actually, just a note on Pepe there. You mentioned him at the end. Yep. Um, I actually think he's getting suffocated. Uh, there's no surprise that he's doing better in the Europa League, but that's because Arsenal themselves are being more expensive in the Europa League. Right. I think he's being suffocated from the system that they're trying to implement in the Premier League. And um, just a little bit of confidence for uh, will probably do him the world of good in playing in a much more expansive, free-flowing, attacking-style system, um, which is currently not implemented at the club. Uh, so I probably uh, would bench him, just kind of take him out of the limelight at the moment because because he came at that price tag. People are always looking for a mistake for him to make so that they can start talking about him. So just take him out of the limelight, try this new system out, and when you find something that works, maybe give him like 15 minutes and then 20 and then 45 maybe and then you know teach him the system in the Europa League because you can afford to do that there because they're doing really well in the Europa League. And um, and once he has that system on hand, try him out again in, in the Premier League. I think it's too early, I think, for the Pepe experiment to fail and before they move him on. Yeah, me um, too. But yeah. Yeah, I think I mean, we, what we have to remember is that Lille, he did play as a right mid and he had like 20 goals and 10 assists or something like that. It was I don't know if it was exactly that, but it was, mm -hmm. it was something like that. And so he does have that in him. But yeah, they go for a reason. Yeah. Right. But their team was a little bit different. And if, if you know, they want him to be Mahrez-esque, right, to be the silky dribbler who's just going to cut in and in a flash, kind of curl it to the back post, either in the form of a goal or in the form of, of an assist to somebody running in at the back post, then there has to be a way to, to free up the space for him to work. And maybe that is 
by saying, listen, we have to be a little bit more defensive minded with these players, but that will allow us to send our wingers up and go and then have Pepe be able to play intricate balls rather than stopping play because he's trying to get onto his left foot and people are forcing yeah. him onto his right. You mm-hmm. know, that's exactly. why I, that's why I really like my, you know, unless you're Ronaldo or Mbappe, like I like my right wingers to be right footed unless you're very direct and you can do it. Like, I think mm-hmm. it's, it's a safer bet almost uh, to, to make them. Okay. Listen, you're left footed, play on the left wing, get to the byline, cut it back for your striker. Who's a damn good finisher. Anyway. Yeah. Unless you're Iron Robin. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Unless you're Robin, <laughs> unless you're Messi, unless you're Ronaldo. Like, there are plenty of good examples, exactly. but yeah, not yeah. everybody. But there are fewer of those players than there are of common players. And I think most common players would be able to... You'd be able to get more out of them by not having to force them on their weaker foot. Absolutely, right? yeah. Anyway, we'll segue from that into uh, into the, the big boys of La Liga. And I wanted this to be the focus of the episode, but we've gone pretty long here with what we've done. And, you know, most of what we've talked about has been about VAR and the Prem and and pretty current events. But I still want to talk about when big teams underachieve, there has to be a discussion about it. Yep. And I would love to ask you uh, just straight up, what the hell's the matter with Barca and with Real Madrid? Because they're like massively underachieving. Um, I guess I'll just ask you and we're going to just go from there. Which one do you want to start with, Barca or Madrid? I'll start with Barca because I know a little bit more about them and, yeah, and you know a little bit more in Real Madrid. Um, again, this is the issue that's happening across Europe with the exception of perhaps Bayern Munich. Um, but we've seen this, right? Big teams have been struggling. And especially when you add into um, the discussion, all the all the stuff we said about Barcelona in previous episodes with their recruitment, with um, literally selling a striker when they didn't have a replacement, replacing... Uh, Arthur, uh, Arthur for Pjanic um, when you're literally just bringing in a, an older guy um, who is pretty good but you're still increasing the average age of the team right? and not really replacing who you should have replaced I think you and I both said that you know Nelson Semedo is not really the guy that you should pro. it's not the priority in the team that you should try and replace so with you know but they did and Sergio Dest isn't a bad player you know he's he's pretty good but again that wasn't the priority selling Luis Suarez and not replacing him is a priority. Not being able to solve the 140 million pound question of, you know, Dembele, Griezmann, Coutinho individually is also a bad is also a bad thing. And when you add into it COVID and no preseason and no fans, it's just a big boiling mess, you know? Yeah. And I think there's the added pressure of being Barcelona and Real Madrid means that the skids that you have in form are massively overanalyzed, right? Like it's blown way out of, not necessarily out of proportion because I think the expectation is higher, but the expectation of a massive club dropping points like a Barca or a Real Madrid in the, in La Liga, like already having, you know, Barca have played nine games and have already lost three times, right? Real Madrid have already lost three times and have played 10 games, right? So those are not great stats to have, but, when you lose a game and you're a club like that, or even if you draw against a team who you shouldn't be drawing against, it's like the world is ended, right? Yeah, it's magnified. The pressure, yeah, the pressure is kind of insurmountable for the players and the managers. But they, you know, the managers have crafted these teams around the best players in the world. And with Barca specifically, and we'll get to Real Madrid later, right now they have a game in hand on Madrid, but really they have two games in hand of Real Sociedad who are in first, right? Okay. Barca have... Uh, so they have two games in hand still. They're sitting in seventh in La Liga. 
they're coming off back to back four nil wins against, you know, not great opposition, but still we're not going to, we're not going to, you know, uh, downgrade what a four nil win is. They're top of their group in champions league. So, but it does look like Messi is not what he once was. It does look like they're really, really missing Ansu Fati, which is kind of hilarious <laughs> to be honest, because he was kind of just brought in as like a, Oh damn, let's just get somebody from the Academy to fill the position. And then he's been unreal for the last like, two years pretty much that's right? what happens sometimes you you know you get your chance after being injured and that's what happened in rashford it's what happened with a lot of players and you know if you're good enough you stay in the team yeah and he's been good enough and unfortunately he's going to be out for the next couple of months he's been out already for about a month i think that they miss him uh but are we blowing out of proportion a little bit what's going on with barca given you know they still have two games in hand you know they're they're losing more than they should be but it's a proper rebuild right now and they're still first in their Champions League group. What do you think? Again, um, I go back to injuries based on COVID and, and all the, you know, all the stuff because they did lose Jordi Alba for a moment there. He's back now. He was back against Osasuna. Um, they don't have PK. They oh, didn't yeah. Have, yeah, so they don't have a lot of players, right? Big so, loss. Um, yeah, so, I mean, who is the guy that, I'm just looking right now, the guy to replace PK was Oscar Mingueza. Who, you might ask? Exactly. I will, I will tell you who. His name is the interim <laughs> replacement for Eric Garcia, who Barca will probably be trying to get for as cheap as possible in January exactly. out of Manchester City. Um, but really, you know, I think it might be a little bit blown out of proportion in terms of what's going on right now, but it's, it's because Barca have set a, the, the bar so high for themselves and the fans are so desperate to win, right, and have that winning expectation that when things are looking a little bit unsettled we like we got to we got to do something about it and i think the massive obvious scapegoat has been antoine griezmann yep i think with just cause he's earned quite a bit of criticism but i don't think he's been like he's not the reason barca are in shambles he's one of the many problems of barcelona right yeah, but it's easy to pinpoint him because it's public and because it's griezmann and because of the two netflix documentaries that he did before moving it's it's the show that comes with them, right? It's mm. for them having someone like that. You, surely they must be thinking, is this guy just here for the money and the show of being a Barcelona player? Or is he here to actually work? And, right. uh, and then you see him going to play the way he plays for France, where the show isn't there, but the setup is much better. Uh, it's very similar to what's happening actually to Paul. Pogba, now that I say that, the show yeah. is really what's probably pissing them off, and it's a very easy scapegoat. And when you add um, poor performances to that, then again, it's it's very easy to pinpoint. But again, if they win their two games in hand, they're probably in third. So the conversation goes away, and it's and it's well, I don't think it goes away, but it definitely gets a lot quieter than it is right now. Same thing with uh, with Real Madrid; they looked like they were going to struggle in the Champions League team. Now they're staying second in their in their group conversation is getting a lot quieter even though that they have just as many injuries and just as many players underperforming yeah I, and i want to get to real madrid in a second but just a final note on barcelona here um i think it's easy to say yes if they had those two points and i agree with you if they have if they win their two games in hand then they're then they're higher in the table um but i think that's a little bit dismissive of how of what we've seen this season which is that just in terms of the gameplay, they're not as convincing as they were, right? Like the system that depended on Messi's brilliance is starting to, to fall. 
because Messi is starting to slow down. And it could be because of lack of motivation because he doesn't want to be there anymore. Or it could be because he's 33 and a lot of what made him great was his explosiveness and his acceleration. And if we're going to just count on him as a passer, not that we have to, he's still unbelievable at set pieces. He's still, you know, his finishing still, uh, you know, second to none. Um, but if we can start to expect that transition from Messi, where we have to rely more on his creativity and his unbelievable passing, then boy, we better have some good finishers in the squad. And the squad, I think, really lacks that right now. Yeah, they're playing with Martin Braithwaite up top. And yeah, he might have done well in, in the Champions League to score a brace, but, you know, doesn't count. That's, it doesn't count. Exactly. Doesn't count. It's, it's not Kiev. your Suarez. It's not your Ibrahimovic. It's not your Samuel Leto. It's not your Thierry Henry, the players that they David are used Villa. to seeing. David Villa. Um, and I actually think a big factor in, in why they're not playing this expansive, convincing football is also Ronald Koeman. Um, mm. We know from the Premier League and what he's done with the Netherlands team, it's not, he's not the most convincing. He's not the most expansive. It's kind of Louis van Gaal-esque um, where every player has a very specific job in the team and it's kind of sideways. A lot of the times it's, it's not really, there's no room for creativity and there's no room for players doing what they want to do. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say there's no room for creativity, but less so for flair. Yeah, there's no room but, for flair. That I think that's the word I was looking for. Yeah, because there's creativity, no like they still have plenty. Themselves. Yeah, they have still yeah. plenty of creative, you know, players, and I think the team still has to be built around Messi as long as he's there. But like I said, if if we're lacking no in finishers, for them to express themselves and and you know kind yeah. of really show the flair that Barcelona expect, right? The free flowing way. Yeah, right? the Ronaldinho's, you know, the yeah, <laughs> yeah. the Neymar's, you know, the exactly. the team, the, the players we've come to expect from this from this club. Um, I'll ask you this right now, two questions back to back. One, because the expectations are so high, uh, does Kuman last till Christmas? And two, what does what does Barca hope to get out of the season? Like how high can they finish in La Liga? Can their form in the Champions League continue? Uh, what do you think? I think Kuman lost till Christmas. I don't know who their uh, next two games are, are against, but if they win those two games, then or if they win the, the two games in hand, then they're, again, sitting third. Um, and with the introduction of a new board in the new year, I don't think mm. they're going to be as hasty to, you know, let him go. I think they might just listen to what he has to say, see his plan, and then see, good see where it goes from there. The election is in is actually January 24th, which is at the end of the January transfer window. Which is also when Messi can start speaking to clubs. That's what I'm saying. Messi, Messi can start speaking to them in January. I, I wonder if he even says, you know, wait. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. let me hear this new board out. If he's like, don't care. Don't want to be here. Screw you. I, I think yeah. he'll probably give the board the respect of at least meeting with him and like, okay, what are your demands and how can we help you specifically, Messi? But at the same time, like, you know, if they can't come to terms, do Barca actually face the reality of, of letting... Messi walk away for free in the summer or do they try to, I don't think they'll ever sell him in January like I think no way right no there's no way they sell him in mid-season um I think they might say okay we'll let you go but sign a contract let us get some money for you you know I think he'd be happy to do that I don't think he hates Barcelona I think he hates the board that was there I think he hates how Abidal was dealing with the team I think um, he's frustrated with the kind of really Exactly, but As he doesn't whole. hate the city. He doesn't hate yeah, what right. it gave him, right? It's not he doesn't have the bad fans. blood against the club or the fans. He has bad right. blood against the people who 
you know, put him in the situation and that, and those people are changing. So right. I think he'll hear them out if he still wants to leave. If I'm in there, if I'm in their seat, I'd say, listen, just sign a two-year contract with us. Let us get some money for you, you know, and we'll let you no. go after everything you gave us. Then, then I think he might agree to that. I, I don't think he'll sign a new deal with them. I think he'll wait until the summer to be a free agent to see what he wants to do as a decision. Um, I don't think they like can come to an agreement that quickly in January. I think no matter what, he'll wait until the summer and then he'll, will be a free agent. And then he'll either re-opt with Barca or, you know, or go to city and the smartest move for Barca. I don't know, like business, it's tough to say you can't, I don't think they can lose Messi mid season and expect to get away with it. But I think Messi is a little bit frustrated with, not with the love and support that he's been shown over the years, but with the fact that, you know, we, we talk about Griezmann being the scapegoat, but Messi set the ceiling so high for himself mm-hmm. that now if the club, if the team doesn't win, I've heard it. Like, I know you've heard it too. They're like, Jesus, Messi, come on. You couldn't, you couldn't have got this one for us too, right? It's, it's the constant. And he's like, guys, I have nothing left to give you. Like, I've done everything I possibly could. Maybe I need a new challenge, even if there's a new board. That's a very Spanish fan thing to do because they do that at Real Madrid as well. Oh, yeah. They the patience they have is very thin. Mm-hmm. Um, even like some fans were booing Cristiano Ronaldo. Some they were always booing uh, Gareth Bale. So I don't I don't know, man. Um, the difference being Ronaldo walked out as a champion, right. walked out with the Champions League. Um. So yeah, uh, it. He's kind of cursed by how good he was, um, right, yeah. and how good he still is, because people know that he can still do it despite not, you know, having the same explosiveness. Um, he his performances are matured, and he's he's kind of playing a different role than what he used to be, um, and he's still doing phenomenally well. Um, but if their patience wears thin, then you know he might as well just say, "Listen, I'm too tired of doing everything myself, and you guys aren't appreciating it. So let's see what happens without me." So where do they finish at the end of the season? Come June, where are they? Have they won? I still think they'll they'll go top four, to be honest. And it's top weird. four La Liga. What about Champions League? What about domestic cup? Ah, uh, see, Champions League is tough to call because you don't know who they're gonna get in the in the knockout rounds. Well, I, for me, it's not hard to call because I doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter. I you know I I don't think no matter who they face, once it gets down to like a final eight, final four, I don't think Barca are going to a semi. Right. Like, that's why. But that's why I'm saying like you don't know. I, I was gonna say quarterfinals, but again, I don't know who they're gonna get in uh, in the semis. Can we if say they get though there. Barcelona aren't winning the Champions League this year? Yeah, fair. I think that's right. fair to say. Yeah, can we say they're one of the best four teams in Europe? No, I don't think so. I don't think so either. So luck of the draw aside, I think the furthest we can expect for them is yeah, round of sixteen, quarterfinal, and then after that, the opposition just gets too good, where it doesn't really even matter who they're facing because. Of course, like obviously, if they go get you know a, a team, and I'll be Leipzig like last season. Yeah, or like a you know like not even like a Marseille or a Porto, and I know they're in cities group, but I mean just right, for example, right. like a team like that who's just kind of because of the draw has has found their way in where they're like, yo, we're in the quarterfinals, sick. Well, you never know. Borussia Mönchengladbach are looking like they're gonna get get to the. Yeah, you know, like 16, a, so. a team like that too, right? Like it doesn't. It's just any sort of team like that where okay, I guess they could get that you know luck of the draw and then yeah. move on, but I think. I think every footy fan who knows could pretty much say with conviction, Barcelona are, have, it doesn't matter how good they look in the Champions League in their group. Barcelona are not winning the Champions League this year. 
uh, and they're probably not walking away with anything in La Liga either. I might get a Copa del Rey, but you know, defense expect a lot more than that. Even that, does it look like a team that's going to win anything? Like, I don't think this is. I think that they go they go zero for three this season. Like, I don't think they're going to win anything. They they absolutely might, and it's the fact that we're sitting here and saying that they might not win anything is detrimental to Barcelona, right? That's yeah. that's not what they expect. They at least <laughs> for the past five years they they've been saying, okay, we didn't win the Champions League, but we won the league. So yeah, it was still a bad season, but we still won the league. Right. So and their barometer for a bad season always the includes is the league. One trophy. Always includes the league, right? Right. Mm-hmm. At least one trophy. Yeah. Um, so we'll move on to Real Madrid and we'll end the show with Real Madrid because they, you know, they haven't, it's been no picnic on that side of, uh, of the city of the country either, where Real Madrid are now looking like the inferior Madrid team because Atletico are playing so well. And, you know, Diego, Diego Simeone has said, all right, draw Felix, you're my boy. We're building around you. Take us forward. Yeah. And he's like, okay. <laughs> you know, like, and his link up play with Suarez has been absurd, but they're, they're enabling Joao Felix to display his best self, which is such an intelligent decision for them because look where they are. Right now, it's not that we're just going to park the bus and hope to counter. It's like, not only are we going to counter, but we're going to counter with the most, the probably one of the best link-up players in the world and the one who's going to be, I would say, within the next three to five years, the best link-up player in the world. Right, this is the guy to bring the ball from deep and and spray in either a winger, a forward, another striker, a give and go pass. João Felix is looking like the man, and Simeone has built a team around him. I will actually open this up by saying I think as of right now, Atlético Madrid are winning La Liga this year. Absolutely agree with you. I mean, they also have two games in hand. They're saying on twenty three points right now. If they win those two games, they're five points clear. Absurd. Having played only eleven games this season, so. Um, yeah, and if yeah. Joao Felix I, uh, and Luis Suarez can stay fit, like that, obviously it's always contingent on fitness, but the system that it looks like they are being allowed to play, where you're still getting the most out of your defensive oriented players and you're still getting that Simeone block. But when we transition, Joao Felix is going gonna, is gonna to link up everybody and then we're going to score. And they have been, and it's been really, really yeah, good to watch. A ruthless finisher in Suarez as well. You Who's kind of showing. showing Felix, like, hey, Here's, yeah. here's what you can expect from a, a proper link-up player. Like, let me show you the ropes a little bit, you know, in terms of finishing, in terms of... Because Suarez is no, you know, no slouch as a link-up player either, right? No. Just and by the way, if he's MSN. gone, if he's gone, Diego Costa's coming on. So, you know what I mean? They've got... Yeah, even even Diego there. Costa, like, a lot of the players in the, in the Atletico Madrid system are interchangeable because it is a system that they play. Yep. But I think the Felix one specifically is the most important one at this time. Because I don't, they don't have another Joao Felix. Like, I don't no. think Diego Simeone is any. Sorry, uh, Diego Costa is anything like what he used to be. But I think the other strikers can still link up. Joao Felix can link up with pretty much anybody and make him look good. That's, that's not to say, making, right? But that's not Suarez, to say. Yeah. That's not to say that losing Suarez won't be hugely detrimental to them. Because, you know, Suarez is a he's a freaking yeah, finisher, yeah. right? Like born out and out finisher. And if you want anybody, Joao Felix to say, okay, I'm, I'm linking up this play. I'm creating all these chances. What are we going to do? You know, it's, Suarez it's a different like, striker too. I got yeah. this. Suarez, Suarez isn't a target man. Diego Costa is. So right. they, it's, it's a different type of striker as well. So he might, you know, Joao Felix might, you know, struggle with that. He might figure out how to play to a different kind of striker, but you know, it's, they, they do have a replacement for Suarez if he's gone. 
Yeah, they have they have actually a couple of, of strikers they could rotate. And so I yeah. think I could say pretty convincingly that Atletico Madrid, at least as of right now, hey, Sociedad, don't sleep on them either, right? Sociedad yeah. are top of the table. They're looking damn good. Mm-hmm. But I know you guys don't want to hear us rave about my boy David Silva and Real Sociedad, my boy Alexander Isaac, the man I chose <laughs> to replace Lionel Messi at Barca, uh, Mikel Oriasabal. You guys know I like that team. But let's go to the white side of... Madrid and talk about Los Blancos who despite everything that this team has accomplished in the last couple of years one run of bad form and Zizou's on the chopping block. It's a different team. Benzema's not playing because he's injured. Ronaldo's not there and Gareth Bale's not there. You know who else isn't there? Eden freaking Hazard. Yeah. You know who else? Okay, here's the thing. If Zinedine Zidane is voluntarily Bringing on Isco, something is wrong at Real Madrid. <laughs> if if Isco is getting regular minutes at Real Madrid, you know that it's you know shit hit the fan. There's a problem. <laughs> yeah, there is a problem here, guys. Isco's playing. Sound the alarm. The end is near. Exactly. So that I think that says all you need to say. Eden Hazard's not there. He's always injured. Just got injured again. Yeah, no, this- let's talk about that. We can't we have to talk about Eden Hazard for a second because I think this is a huge reason why Real Madrid are underachieving because it's like, you know, we've spent the money and don't get me wrong. Next summer, Real Madrid are coming. Like they're going to say, "Yo, here's a 500 million pound window." You know, like Mbappe, let's go. You know what I mean? Let's get yep. some some prolific Money. midfielder to <laughs> to replace um to replace uh Modric. You know, that way we have uh, probably Kamavinga they're going to bring in. I wouldn't be surprised me if they brought in another, like, elite-level midfielder. Like an Alwar type of... No, no, like higher. Like like higher. Like one of the best in the world right now. I'm just... I can't... I can't... I'm struggling to think of a name. But I can just see them saying... Every once in a while, Madrid do that, right? Where it's like, yeah, we're spending massive amounts of money. Every once in a while? That's their entire history. (laughs) No, but it's not every summer that they go and spend 500 mil. It's not every... Couple of summers they'll spend, and they didn't sign anybody last summer. And yeah, I think that is part of the problem. No, one of, no, of, uh, no one noteworthy. No, like they didn't make. I, I don't know if they made. Who did they sign? Like even of any sort of significant signing. I don't even know if they expanded their. Academy. No I don't think anybody was presented in a Real Madrid jersey last summer. I don't. I, that, if that they I were, that just that just shows the level of player that they brought in. Because, but we, I think that's it. Is that they're saying, "Yo, like we have to to spend our money carefully, and we're going to do it." the following year. And I think they're going to do it this summer. I think they're going to bring in Mbappe. I think they're going to bring in a very high level midfielder or center back. Probably another. Yeah, we'll see. Like, well, I think because of Mbappe, that'll probably be what they keep, but I could, I could see them getting three, four, very, very good and high profile players took because it's, it's galactical rebuild time. And the question is who's at the helm? Because right now, clearly Vinicius and Rodrigo, they're just, like Vinicius just really isn't that good. Like he, he's got good, he's got some good parts to him, right? Like he's very quick, but his decision-making isn't very good. He doesn't have very good composure. It's an awful finisher. Mariano Diaz is starting as a striker. <laughs> Mar- Mariano Diaz. Yeah. Like, uh, and this guy, and I feel bad for what they did to Mariano Diaz. And same thing with Luka Jovic, to be honest, like when big Benz is playing, he's so integral to the team, but there's so many like pieces that, <laughs> that don't work when this team was at like one of arguably the greatest football team ever, right? Like three peating champions league, four to five with the core of, you know, 
uh, Benzema is the center forward who's linking up the ultimate wingers of Bale and Ronaldo, who, you know, by losing Ronaldo, you're taking out a lot of goals. And they brought in Eden Hazard, who's not, who's a very, very good player, but I don't, and I've, I've been pretty vocal about this for five years, isn't consistent enough in front of goals to command a 150 million pound price tag. Especially, no, he's never been a consistent goal scorer. He's never, he's no, and he's been a good player. He's been a great player. Don't get me wrong. But like, if you're replacing Ronaldo, you need goals in the team. And this is going yep. back to last season. But quite frankly, the questions are still there. They haven't been answered yet. Eden Hazard still hasn't played. Like this man's played, I think under, I think he's played single digits since he's and been he's there. played, he hasn't played. <laughs> Some of the games he's looked really good when he comes back, but it's one game. And then you're out for another 500 days with another ankle injury or hamstring yep. or whatever it is. It's terrible for him because obviously he's not asking to be injured like this. But, you know, the Real Madrid system isn't working the way that it once was. And I don't think that's Zidane's fault. But they need to get the most out of this squad, not the squad that they could be because the Real Madrid fans aren't accepting of that. They're saying, right now, we have to be better. Right. And if the Zidane system works at the, at the very, very top end, when you have all their players in their prime who are just better than anyone and the system works, then that's fine. But currently it isn't working, right? Like, and it's not even like, and it's funny to say that, but because again, it's not like they've been terrible. It's just that they lost to Valencia via three VAR penalties, right? They didn't beat Villarreal. They lost to Deportivo. They beat Inter fine. And now they're second in their Champions League group, which I think they would have expected to have won very convincingly, right? They didn't beat much in Gladbach initially. They lost to Shakhtar. They lost to, to Cadiz, who I think are a newly promoted side. They didn't beat Sociedad, who have been pretty good. But it hasn't been a very successful season for Real Madrid. And I think Zinedine Zidane will face the consequences of this either selection because of injuries or, or whatever it is. It's not working right now, and Real Madrid can't afford to just wait for those players to come back to form. I think that that Zidane, for all that he has given the club, might be on the chopping block here. I agree with you too. It's, uh, manager is always the most uh, disposable person in a club, and it's the easiest because you're not going to fire the entire team. You're not just going right. to rebuild. So, and again, they're definitely not going to get rid of their board because of you know how successful they've been with that board, right? Uh, and it's not a problem Paris. with the board. Exactly, fair, right? it's not like, an issue. They always, they always want to win, and they always want to, you know, they definitely put their money where their mouth is. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Zinedine Zidane, uh, it's probably going to lose his job, and this is the first time that he's had to, you know, try and rebuild the team, and it's it's currently not going well because they didn't spend money last season, and I don't think they could have because they spent so much money the previous this previous season that you know financial fair play would have been like, listen, guys. <laughs> Keep it, keep it down can a little bit. Can you at least bit. try yeah. to hide it? Can you guys just chill? So, um, yeah, I think I think Zidane will probably face a chopping block. I don't think it's... We don't know. Here's the thing. We don't know if he's actually capable of rebuilding the team. And I don't think we'll be able to find... I don't think he'll last long enough for us to answer that question. Because he's never had to rebuild the team. He came into a ready-made team and got the absolute best out of them for three or four years. Yeah, and that's he the thing. Left, like he came back and saved them. Right. So he's been able to to inherit the bunch on two occasions and make them better than they were. Exactly. But I think as the bunch changes, 
where he likes Federico Valverde, who, pr- who probably should be part of that midfield regardless, right? It's just that I don't think his front three is clinical enough at this point. I think Benzema is great. He's, pr- he's really good, to be fair. Like, yeah, not he's, had, he's had his ups and downs, even if he's injured currently, and they miss him when he's gone. When he's there, they're doing pretty well, but they could still be doing better. And the link-up play between him and Hazard is something that we've only seen glimpses of, but when we've seen it, it looks really, really good. But that doesn't change the fact that the goals have to come from somewhere. And Vinicius isn't getting you 20 goals a season. He's barely getting you 10. Same thing with Rodrigo, yep. right? And same, Lukjovic can't play because he can only play one position and Benzema does it better than him, right? And that's the criticism I've, I have of Zidane. Um, his transfers haven't worked out. I don't think anyone can say anything against that. Uh, for the most part, his transfers have not been good enough. And I think the, the so hold on. players wait, that are wait, still wait. saving... What are his transfers? What do you mean? What are his transfers? The, the people he brought in. Um, like who? Like, because I don't, I don't... Was Hazard when he was there? That's a good question. I don't know if the Hazard... When he came one, back? But I don't Hazard's think it was. been super... I don't know if that was his decision. But I think for the most part, if we look at... Vinicius, I don't think was his decision. I think it was Real Madrid said, we need, we, this dude looks great in Brazil. Let's see if we can make something out of him. And they've done what they can with him. And he probably still has good potential, um, but he's lacked a few very, very important things, which is the clinical, you know, instinct in front of goal. He, I don't think he has that. Rodrigo's probably a little bit better than Vinicius, in my opinion, but he doesn't have the same speed. Uh, Rayner is currently on loan at Dortmund. That's another one who isn't Zidane signed. It's not Zidane who said, go get me that guy from Brazil. It's Real Madrid saying, these are guys for the future. They play tremendous flair and the football that we want to see. And there's probably, let's see how we can integrate them with our current stud of squ- uh, squad of stud and who are, you know, unbelievable superstars. And see- boy, try saying that freaking five times fast. <laughs> stud of squad. Squad of studded stars, boy. Uh, and then let's see who else. Um, so okay, here the defender here it is. there. Eden Hazard, Luka Jovic, Eden Militao. I think Eden that's Militao. what I think. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. Um, Ferlan Mendy, which I think actually was a good signing. So I'll give him that one. one. Yep. Uh, Rene Abeltasoro, Alfonso Riola, Kubo. I think that's that was one for the academy. Kubo's another really good one for the future. Currently on loan. Yeah. Exactly. So. So it's not the like they part, have, to be it's, honest, it's not like they've been trying to, you know, give Zidane these players. It's that they've just continued with, they've accepted the fact that Zidane is very good at getting the most out of this group uh, that was already very, very strong. Mm-hmm. And now it's about how can we, how can we change it as, as the squad starts to, you know, deteriorate, you know, I don't think they can rely on, Ramos anymore, but I think Man City are going through the same thing right now. I know United went through it for a long time. When you have the veteran leadership of your defensive captain, and that guy is a vocal leader who's a serial winner and wants you guys to win, as that guy starts to fade, you're going to start to struggle. Like, you know, Real Madrid don't look the same team defensively when Ramos doesn't play. And I think also people are. And he's like 36. Yeah, but. People also aren't considering the fact that um, Marcelo is also, they're losing Marcelo as well. Right. And while he might not be the vocal leader, he's definitely a leader by example because this guy's performances, I don't think they would have won on a three-peat without him. Oh, so for sure. Losing, not. Especially not the most recent one. Them, exactly. So half of their, half of their back four is, is, is going away, right? And Modric. Um, 
Exactly. And Bale and Ronaldo, right? Like Cruz is still there. Casemiro is still there, but there's big. Varane is questionable at times. He hasn't been the same. Benzema guy is getting been. up there. Right? Like they're, they're starting. It's the implementation of a new Real Madrid squad. Mm-hmm. And I just think, you know, and we can, we can end it. No, I still want to ask you where you think their, their expectations are, but I don't think it's fair to Zidane that he should be sacked for what's happening to the squad as it's being rebuilt and he's losing the players that when he had them all, they were the best team by far. But sometimes it's just not fair. And that's just it. And it's like, sorry, Zizou. Yep. Like, to be honest, maybe we'll bring in a new guy for the next couple of years. And then when he's not working out, we'll bring you back. Because no one's better at Which getting... Which is what they did, to be honest. Right. No one's... Well, he stepped away the first time, right? But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, listen, maybe when we have a team that we just need to elevate, but it's already been built, you're the guy for that. Okay. But you're not necessarily the guy to do the rebuild. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think fundamentally, that's probably why he's going to lose his job. Um, yep. He's the most disposable. And, you know, if something's not working out, the manager, unfortunately, is the one who loses the job. I think that's just the nature of the position. Yep, fair enough. So what do you think the the expectations are of Real Madrid this season? Well, what can they? Same thing for Barcelona. Where can they be expect to finish in the Champions League uh, and in the, uh, La Liga? I think Champions League is a similar answer. Quarterfinals, unless they get, you know, luck of the draw and they can push forward. Um, mm-hmm. That team, the by that point, I'm hoping that they're leaders in the team have come back you know the the ramos the benzema um modric they again this goes back to our previous episode with juventus they're not doing well but experienced players winning is a habit to them same thing with real madrid real madrid in the champions league winning it is a habit so they might that might push them to the semifinals but i don't think they're winning it either um in the league i think atleti's going to win the league um Sociedad is probably going to be up there. Whether they finish second or third, that's that's based on experience and fitness. Um, but I also think that Real Madrid and Barcelona will have enough by the end of the season to be either second and third or third and fourth. Yeah, and it'd be a shock if they weren't, right? Like for all yeah. that, you know, their their squad is flawed in terms of their own expectations. That doesn't mean that we can accept them just being mid-table. Like they're they're obviously probably still going to finish in and around the top four. Uh, and if they aren't looking that way, then expect massive, massive changes to to come about because it's one thing yeah. for Madrid to sack a, a manager for not winning the league. It's another thing entirely if they miss out on top four. Like exactly, and and the opposition in the, in the league, yeah, the opposition in the league isn't isn't as good as in the Premier League. So they're definitely well. It's not as prolific. Going but up it is against. very, very good. To be fair, like the players that that these squads have are not on the same money. But the football that they play, I wouldn't say is worse. I would say that it's that Real Madrid and Barcelona are so far much better than, or have been so much better than other squads for such a long time that it's looked like that. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I, I don't necessarily think that, like, you know, position for position, if we have, let's see, like if we go to the to the table. But there's definitely less competition in, in the in La Liga. You've in the Premier but League, I mean, you've got six or seven teams that are pushing for like three or four positions. Yeah, that I that I understand, but I I don't think that that's a testament to. Uh, and I see what you're saying. Yes, it's just two ways of looking at the glass, right? We're looking at it as mm-hmm. the the top seven teams are better compared to the top seven teams of of La Liga. But I think if like 
let's say, you know, if we look at obviously right now, like Villarreal against the third place team, well, mind you in the Prem this year, the third place team is what, like Aston Villa <laughs> as of right now, I think probably Chelsea right now. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, Sevilla, um, obviously Betis are struggling this season, but I think there's, there's teams that, that in that yeah, Sevilla, Valencia, like they're definitely always going to be up there. They're great teams. And you can see that in the Champions League when they face English opposition. Europa, that, that it, the Spanish, they are difficult. The Spanish yeah. dominance, right? Yeah, exactly. So they, they are difficult teams to play against. I'm just saying they're not pushing for a league. They like, right. You yeah. know what I mean? We'd be more shocked. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, I think that has to do it for this episode of the Jersey wall podcast. Brethren, it's been so nice having you here. It's great to have to, to be here as always, man. It's always good discussions that we have, and uh, we seem to somehow always get off topic. But you know, I think that's for the benefit of the listeners to keep the conversation going. Exactly. To be honest, there's no person I'd rather ramble footy with uh, than you. That being said, ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this episode of the Jersey Wall Podcast, please feel free to share it with your friends. We'd really, really appreciate it. It would mean a lot to us. Um, if you could, you know, like and subscribe to us on, on the channel, uh, both YouTube or right here where you're listening to, where you're getting it, leave us a rating, leave us a review. It would really mean a lot. That's going to do it for me. That's going to do it for brethren. The Jersey wall is back. We're firing every week. We hope you enjoy uh, this episode and all the ones to come. Take care, everybody. See you guys.